Welcome to the podium. I'm Dr. Kevin Sprouse. This podcast about health and performance was created as a resource for the patients in my practice, where I work with professional athletes and high-performing individuals from around the world. You may ask, why podium? Well, to me, the podium represents the pinnacle. The winner of any race takes their place atop the podium, much as any expert in their field is often asked to share their wisdom and present from the podium. It represents the intersection of athletic and cognitive performance. In this podcast, we dissect those principles of performance for my patients and then disseminate pertinent, actionable information with them in mind. If you like listening and are not a patient, that's great. We love having you here and I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion. But please understand, if you're not a current patient, do not take the content of this podcast as medical advice. This discussion is for general informational purposes only. Season four of The Podium is brought to you by Podium Sports Medicine. Yes, while this podcast is produced primarily for our patients, we have many listeners who are not patients at Podium. We're often contacted and asked about the practice, so I figured we could take this season to share a bit about what we do. At the end of this episode, we'll place some specific info about how things work at Podium. Additionally, we plan to have a listener Q&A episode next season. If you have a question you'd like for me and Patrick to dig into, please submit it by email to info at podiumsportsmed.com. In this episode of The Podium, we discuss sodium bicarbonate. Sodium bicarb is one of the most highly researched supplements on the market, and the evidence for its use in uh, improving or supporting human performance is it's really pretty strong, um, but it's not a supplement that has gained a lot of traction, mostly because of uh, the the side effects or the the uncomfortable GI side effects that often accompany it. Um, but in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about some novel ways to combat those side effects, uh, avoid those side effects, and still... Uh, enjoy the benefits that sodium bicarb can impart as an athlete. Joining me in this conversation today is Jeff Byers. Jeff is a former NFL player, um, now the CEO of Amp Human, which is a human performance company based in Park City, Utah. They work with athletes um, across multiple disciplines from the NFL, NHL, Tour de France, Ironman, uh, and Jeff has some pretty unique insight into bicarb in particular, both as a coming from a high performance background in the NFL uh, and with his the the research and application of that research through his company Amp Human. Um, I think this is a topic that you all will find really interesting, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jeff as much as I did. So. Jeff Byers, thank you for joining us on the podium here. We're going to talk about sodium bicarb today. And um, first, though, before we dig into that, tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be the sodium bicarb guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> calling me the sodium bicarb guy. I just named you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, is, is a long stretch by any imagination. Um, my background, uh, uh, I was a professional football player in another life. Um, I retired. Uh, after the 2013 season, was an offensive lineman for a handful of years, um, played at USC, et cetera, um, and kind of got into uh, 
post-retirement got into finance, realized it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life and um, really wanted to join an early stage company, et cetera. Joined an early stage biotech company, right, with really no no real science background, um, but a pretty deep understanding in kind of human performance from a practical standpoint, being a professional athlete and kind of geeking out and in, in how do you make, you know, minute um, gains and incremental gains and things like that. And uh, ultimately led me to be, as you named me, the bicarb guy, which <laughs> um, is like, I will say I have a lot of smart people, a lot of smart scientists around me and people who have a great background in bicarbonate and things that have taught me a lot and kind of gave me a, a, a degree in, in, uh, in bicarb and exercise physiology uh, in, in a hard knocks kind of perspective. Yeah, exactly. And, and I say that obviously tongue in cheek, but um, y- your company, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit, really started out with Bicarb as its initial product. But I know that the, the plans are bigger than that. So um, I don't want to put you in a box. But in, in the time that you've spent uh, in, this, in this space, you've learned a lot about the science of of sodium bicarb for athletes and as you said your history as an athlete yourself the 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 school of high performance you know hard knocks campus um i think really teaches people well some of these tenets you you end up when you live it day in and day out um and i see this with athletes all the time when you live it day in and day out you learn it out of necessity and you may not know the the chemical reactions uh you know while you're while you're an athlete but you really start to get a feel for what works and what doesn't and how you use it and what, what protocols work, what protocols don't. So I think it's kind of a nice, a nice mix. Um, so we'll, we'll get into amp human and your company and sodium bicarb as we kind of progress through this. Cause I think you all are really taking, um, the use of this very old school supplement, uh, you, you're bringing it, to to another level and making it to where it's more more usable and more amenable to to numerous athletes. Um, I think first, let's talk a little bit about what is sodium bicarbonate because some people are probably listening to this and like, what, where are they going with this? So tell us a little bit. Just what are we talking about here? Yeah, uh, sodium bicarb, uh, also known as baking soda, uh, um, uh, is like right. It's found everywhere. It's it's commonly used in like in food, cosmetic, uh, medicine, uh, et cetera. And really, uh, bicarbonate um, bonds to a lot of different things. So there's um, right potassium bicarbonate and, and all of these things. But sodium bicarbonate is the most common form of, of bicarbonate. And really what's important in the sodium bicarbonate is bicarbonate. Sodium is just sodium. Um, it's just how they bond together chemically um, and, and is in the most common compatible form. Um, bicarbonate is a buffer um, in the body. Um, it's used to buffer acidity, um, regulate pH. Um, it lives within the blood um, most commonly, and it's produced by the pancreas. Um, typically, right, that is the limiting factor when we think about bicarbonate. Um, very rarely is it taken orally um, as, you know, I'll go, I'll take everybody back to like second or third grade science or maybe it's fifth grade science when you do um, this fun volcano experiment, um, which is you mix baking soda and vinegar in a stupid volcano that you made. Paper mache. Yeah, (laughs) mache, exactly. Uh, And it it erupts, 
Um, and your, when you think about it, your stomach is very acidic. That same reaction happens within your stomach. And so it's been really hard um, to actually have a meaningful impact to take estogenously uh, into the body. So it's always been kind of this long forgotten, never heard of electrolyte because bicarbonate is an electrolyte um, and it's classified as an electrolyte, but nobody thinks about it. But to take it in, in, in high enough doses, it just doesn't happen. Um, and for me as an athlete, when uh, the biotech that I was at that had this crazy idea around bicarbonate, um, was, you know, the scientist was telling me about it. And I was like, what is bicarbonate? I don't even know what it does. Um, because it was never in the vernacular of, of, of anybody's mouths that I like from elite college sports to professional athletics. Like nobody ever talked about bicarbonate. Do you think right? that's just because it was so poorly tolerated? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Like, yeah. you know, the side effects of, of bicarbonate are GI distress and, yeah. uh, Having GI distress, whether it's the runs or feeling nauseous, like negates any performance gain that you can ever have, okay. um, right? And and as you know, Kevin, like it's 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 really well known in a really small niche of sports and has been. Um, but beyond that, and 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 those are sports that, um, right? That the the potential GI distress are worth the potential benefit, but it's only been used in very small use cases. Um, because of the GI distress and the tolerability of it, um, that, that just causes it. And it's a pain in the butt, right? When you think about oral loading phases and things like that, it just hasn't been practical to use in a training setting, et cetera. But also bicarbonate, um, right? Uh, you know, we have one of the foremost experts of sodium bicarbonate on our advisory board, Jason Siegler, um and very very well published and and even in his mind he's like we're still learning a ton about bicarbonate's role in the body and how it affects things and like there's interesting data that i know you want to talk about coming out around bicarbonate and, and ketones and bicarbonate and mitochondria density um and all of these things that it's like okay so where is it where is it going and and what what's the basic understanding of it so anyways Bicarbonate is an electrolyte at its simplest form. It helps your muscles be more efficient because it pulls acid out of the muscle um, and converts it um, into, you know, like, like water and, and, and CO2. Carbon dioxide, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. So, right, I mean, this whole lactic acid thing, um, I got schooled really early on. But lactic acid is really two separate things. It's it's lactate and hydrogen ions, right? That travel together um, and and always appear together. The problem is you need a, a buffer to buffer that acid that that hydrogen ion that acid, right? They pull it, they come out of the blood together. Lactate is really a good thing to have in your blood. It's a, a fuel source, gets converted back into pyruvate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but hydrogen ions are bad, right? And hydrogen ions, when your ability to buffer they build up in your muscle, right? And they ultimately cause that fatigue. And when you're at threshold, it, it creates your inability to continue to push through your threshold or recover from that threshold. So clearing that acid out of the muscle is a really, really important thing um, within muscle function. So, yeah, no, that that's actually a great overview of, of the topic. And what I want to do is um, maybe go back through a few of those tenants and dissect them a little bit, because uh, I mean, 
the way you laid it out there is perfect. This is a sodium bicarb, which bicarbonate is the main thing we're concerned about. Um, and we actually just call it bicarb in the vernacular around sports and, and even in medicine. Um, so, so bicarb is old as dirt. I mean, it is like, you know, it's baking soda. Uh, we use it in, like you said, cosmetics, everything else in medicine. I give it IV to patients in the emergency department, usually when, um, when we're doing CPR, because the body becomes very acidic, very quickly when nothing is happening, blood's not flowing. Um, uh, there's no breathing taking place. And so one of the things that we do that's most impactful during that, uh, that CPR process is giving IV bicarb. And so it's got this wide range from like life and death use to making a cake or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's useful across a wide spectrum. And so then I think the important thing to look at is like, like most things are that, that are that widely applicable. Um, how do we use it in, in what manner and what form and what protocol do we use it for a given purpose? And so we're going to talk about sports and sports performance, right? So what we really come down to is this is a eminently safe and, um, it, it's a safe molecule. It's got a long history of human ingestion. So at that point, it's kind of like, okay, what are we trying to do with it? And how do we do that most efficiently? And you talked about the fact that using, I love the volcano idea because I've never thought about this for athletes, but it, it explains it perfectly. You, you, you can take bicarb orally and when it hits an acid, whether that's stomach acid or vinegar, acetic acid, then you get this fairly explosive release of carbon dioxide, um, which is, you know, if you think of that as your stomach, that's not what we're going for, uh, from a, from a performance standpoint, but we'll kind of get into each of those. So the history in sport bicarb has been used as a buffer for 50 years or so, maybe 70 years. Um, it, it's really, like you said, found a niche where you don't see it. You as an NFL player, college football player, weren't really exposed to it. Where do you see in, in your experience, where do you see the most people using bicarb for a performance? Um, I don't even want to say performance enhancer, but kind of like a, a performance supporter. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I, I think it's important, right? Bicarb is an electrolyte, no different than sodium. If you don't have enough sodium, your muscles don't function properly. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or potassium, right? It, it is just right in a central electrolyte. It's just really hard to make sure we get where, you know, when we started, when we kind of went, when, uh, way back when, when this kind of crazy idea started, um, I, I, we tried to go pretty wide. And what we found is nobody knew what bicarb was. Even when you're talking to, you know, high level HP directors in pro football or pro hockey or any of these, like they just had no idea. It's never been something they played with. Um, but where we gravitated to were, were endurance sports, right? Yeah. Cycling, 100% knew what bicarb was. Like endurance athletes, uh, endurance runners, 100% knew what bicarb was. Um, and it's from this time trial shorter distance where you could take bicarb and probably miss the some of the gi effects that it could have you know when you think about a time trial on a bike with you know under an hour like uh, you know like gi distress might not occur till an hour and five minutes and like who cares if you explode in the toilet at an hour and five but it's not like or track cycling 
Rowing's another one that that has a ton of yeah. experience in bicarb. It's these threshold-based sports um, that understood what it was. So we got, uh, you know, just naturally early on, that's where we went was in like in the sports and with the HP directors that understood what bicarb was and was like, oh yeah, we use bicarb for X, Y, and Z. Like, and you're like, oh wow, like yeah. okay, um, you know what it is, yeah. And, and we've used it in, in cycling. I mean, that's where I was first introduced to it um, a little bit in my studies, exercise physiology studies, but then really uh, practically when I got to working with a world tour team um, and time trials, you know, that's where it was used. So there was a whole protocol around weighing out the bicarb 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight for each, each athlete. They'd have their own little, uh, little jar to dose it. It would go into a, just a standard water bottle. Um, and they would sip on it over the 60 to 90 minutes before start time, right? Because that's kind of what the data showed. If it was a little bit longer, we might make that 45 to 90 minutes. Um, but the point being, it's been in these sports that use it, it's been used for quite a while. And it's been researched fairly heavily. Um, and, and the data, although not uniform the data is never uniform on anything because the protocols are different in the studies the participants are different um but the overwhelming data suggests that it's it's very beneficial in these scenarios and we'll talk about why um but what i've always found interesting is theoretically it's going to be more beneficial in events like you know short explosive track workouts crossfit um you know, things that are much more supra threshold, more acid producing, so to speak. Um, so you made a good point there that when, when we look at an effort in sports um, and we, we're, we're very familiar with the term lactic acid and people think about lactic acid building up and causing problems in the muscle, it's, it's actually a misnomer. We've got lactate, which you alluded to. Lactate does build up. Um, the harder you go, the more lactate you produce, but lactate itself can work as a fuel. What really ends up kind of slowing down muscular function and impairing, uh, impairing function, kind of initiating fatigue is the buildup of those hydrogen ions. And that's where if, and that, that creates an acidic environment. So if you can put a buffer, a base or an alkaline like bicarb into that acidic environment, capture that hydrogen ion, remove it, then you can continue with the effort at a higher level. And so that process tends to happen uh, more, more frequently or to a greater degree with those short, hard efforts, um, which is why I think there's a lot of room for utility in these other sports that haven't really tapped into it yet. Yeah, ho hockey is honestly one of the biggest biggest sports where we've seen the most success um That's cool. yeah but right when you think about hockey it's like they go for 60 seconds yeah full gas right yeah to zero and they got to go again in four shifts right and it is this threshold recover threshold recover threshold recover and they do it what 30 times a game um or 25 times a game and it's how do you right how do you sustain right more right more quote intervals at that high level and be able to recover faster, right? And so how do you, you know, 
not drop off so fast. And even when you think about cycling, it's the same thing. Like, right. There's always these repeated stop, go, stop, goes, right. Like, you know, like if you know cycling, like you're never just on the front at threshold. It's like you're at threshold, then you pull back. Then, right. They, uh, like, yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that, that I've seen. And, and, and that's, that's historically what is known about bicarb, right. As, as that buffer. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the, the, the flip side of what I was saying, you know, the utility for those short, intense efforts, I think the argument has been, well, for the longer endurance stuff, it may not be appropriate or it may not be where you can really harvest that much of a benefit. But to your point, if you've ever looked at a cycling, uh, a power file after a, a race or training or whatever else, there are spikes in recovery, spikes in recoveries. I mean, whether it's a competitive like you've got to cover a break or whether you're just hitting a hill or whether there's a headwind, like you, it's impossible to just constantly ride under threshold where you're producing very little acid, but even under threshold, you're producing some, so it can still be useful. But the point is it's, it's really a conglomeration of, uh, super threshold efforts, times where you got to go hard and recover, hard and recover, whatever you're doing, you know, football, soccer, um, like I said, CrossFit, running, you know, you can talk about a marathon, you go out, unless it's just pancake flat, you're going to go above threshold and then recover above threshold recover. Um, so it's really, it's just a good reminder that when you look at studies on things, the conditions are ideal for it to elicit everything's controlled. And that's not a real world scenario. It's great. we got to do those studies, but it doesn't necessarily reflect the real world. So you got to take it with a bit of a grain of salt and extrapolate some to the real world. Yeah. I think there's also some hypothesis in these kind of, uh, you know, from our scientific advisory board and, and, and such is in these really, um, right. Uh, less threshold based activities, you're still producing acid and your body's still having to, to buffer that acid and work. Now by putting more bicarbonate in the body, are you making your body a little more efficient at buffering that acid? Um, and so, you know, maybe maybe the performance gains are are less noticeable or um, like not as easy to measure. Um, but uh, it's still if you're if you're able to make your body just a little more efficient over a nine hour Ironman, like that's really 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 impactful. Um, and that that's kind of one of those hypotheses of around bicarbonate is if you're making that muscle a little more efficient, um, like like what, what does the impact have and what does the impact have over that long period of time? Yeah. Or, or even just kind of filling up a bicarb tank, so to speak, conceptually that in, in the same way that we would with glycogen or other electrolytes, like you mentioned, um, you know, you could look at the same endurance effort, a nine hour Ironman and say, well, you know, if they're sub threshold, they're primarily burning fat for fuel. So they may not need a lot of carbohydrate intake, but we know that doesn't work. I mean, it's not in a high performance setting. And so the same could be said of, of, of bicarb potentially, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but you know, you're, you're below a threshold where you're just opening the faucet on bicarb and needing it to buffer everything that's flowing through, but you're still needing it on a smaller level. And if you extend that steady drip over a long period of time, potentially you hit a, you empty the tank, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think, I, I think the, the efficacy of bicarb 
in studies is fairly well established. Um, it, in improving how long someone can go at a given effort and improving, um, uh, like you said, repeated, repeated interval type efforts. Uh, so then the question becomes, okay, we've known for 50 years, 40 years that this is a beneficial molecule for performance, but we've also known that people don't tolerate it. Well, uh, you got the GI effects. You've also got some water retention, um, that can be problematic in, in some sports. Um, you know, climbing and cycling, not necessarily time trialing, um, running, you don't want to have extra weight that you got to carry through a marathon. And so the, the downsides, the side effects from it have really just kept it on the shelf. as kind of a, an interesting thing that we pull out in those niche scenarios, you know, a time trial, but not necessarily on a mountain stage. Um, even though we know there's benefit to be harvested, we just know the, the risks outweigh those benefits. Yeah. So, what I've found fascinating with your company, and we can this this is certainly not an ad by any means. This is just a an, an interesting uh, uh, way to take this. I think for my patients and the folks who listen to us is the as you mentioned earlier the the availability of delivering bicarb topically, so you avoid the GI system. Obviously, we can't do it IV, which we know works well in medicine, um, but a topical route is really fascinating for performance use. Tell us kind of how that came about and then the, we'll talk through the evolution of, of the, uh, the evidence for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we go back to the start of this and, you know, post retiring from the NFL then um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I joined an early stage biotech. And that biotech had developed a transdermal uh, delivery technology or, or some science around transdermal drug delivery. and some Specific really... to bicarb or did they kind of have their eye on lots of things? They, they had their eye on lots of things um, from, from the start. Um, and it was, okay, well, you know, this is kind of interesting. I had no science background and the CEO, you know, was looking for some non-traditional hires, uh, et cetera. Um, and so they had this technology that they were seeing really unprecedented results and some proof of concepts around different drug delivery, right? It's a, a very, uh, all grass, like it wasn't, wasn't degrading the skin, et cetera, but was seeing really unprecedented results. Um, and then there was like this crazy idea of what if we could use this technology, this science to deliver non-drugs, basic vitamins, mineral supplements. Um, to basically avoid one of the biggest limiting factors when we think about optimizing the body in some cases, which is the gut. The gut just, the, it, not, not in every case and not in, in the majority of the cases, but the gut does limit a lot of things. And there's, there's certain molecules that have never been practical and bicarb being one of them to, to like actually affect change in the body because orally it's not, it's not there. Anyway, so this crazy idea, Skunk Works project within the biotech um, kind of started up and the CEO of that company was a like avid kind of endurance athlete and a, you know, chemistry, you know, doctor, like all like, and was like, oh, we should deliver bicarb. And, I, you know, I'm like, what the hell is bicarb? you right. And this is, you know, and he's like, oh, you don't know what it is anyways. And so we, you know, kind of started this Skunk Works project within the within this larger biotech company around can we get bicarb through the skin? We did an early study, saw really really compelling data on it, um, and it was like as raw as raw could be. 
um, we did another study and got even better data out of it from from San Diego State, um, and and ultimately it led to the creation of PR Lotion, which is Amp Human's uh, product that's on market uh, as of today. Um, but we we were kind of at this point at the biotech, they were entering phase two clinical trials, and we had this really kind of cool passion project that, like. At a biotech, who cares about a consumer, you know, a CPG company or a CPG product? It's, you know, it's just different multiples and who spends money on marketing and a sales team and things like this to get this out there. Um, just a very, very different, um, different business model. And we basically said, what are we going to do with this product? Like with this idea? And um, I become really, really intrigued with kind of the human performance space. And, and we were seeing great traction within elite sports. Um, you know, we were having people, you know, in the tour, uh, use product, reach out pro football, pro hockey, um, right. Marathon. You, yeah. Did you have any data on the product at that point? Like any, did, any studies? We had early data, um, okay. our, our San Diego state study. And, and it was like, I, and, and and still to this day, like I will openly say, like we have good data. We don't have great data. We have a ton of questions to answer around PR lotion, right? What is the actual bioavailability um, of it? Like how long is it taking to to seep in, et cetera? And these are all studies that we're invest investing in currently to understand, like what's happening in the, in the interstitial fluid. How is it influencing, right? Uh, pH there. How like how fast is it getting into the blood? Because we know that going topically has very different uh, results than orally in terms of right how it hits the bloodstream, right first pass metabolism, all these things. And w what's the difference that's happening? And how is it affecting that local area? Is it affecting the local area, et cetera? Um, so I, I, we had enough data to get really great interest from people and what really got most people over the edge was you know okay you've got good enough data we know bicarb right yeah you're recognized like your, your ingredients are safe recognize the safe like do no harm let's try it and the results were really like in in the most elite teams and military aspects the results were really really good right and and that led us to this to me saying there is a lot of white space in human performance and optimization right now. Um, and me being from the pro space, I saw all these things that people were doing that were little things, um, but never got to the consumer. Um, and kind of what started with PR lotion, we saw it in, in, in the military and like incredible. And we have a couple ex special forces, um, advisors, things like that. And there's all these crazy things that's happening, but they never make it to the consumer or they're very slow to make it to the consumer because they don't have the relationships, the connections, the commercial team, et cetera, whatever that may be, um, or the ability to get funding. And so we had this, I had this, my co-founder and I had this idea of like, one of the things that make us special is this unique access, but we also have a product that's really pushing the limits. We could build a human performance company not around transdermal drug de delivery, not around bicarb, but around human performance and thinking about how are we bringing solutions to market that are addressing some of the lim limiting factors or, or wrapping knowledge around existing 
HP related products to better educate the consumer. That, I mean, that's been the vision. It's been refined now. Uh, we started Amp Human two and a half years ago uh, when we acquired PR Lotion from the biotech. Um, and, and we've been on this journey. So that's, that's kind of how we got there. And, and I do want to reiterate, like, we have good data. We have great anecdotal data. We have really good clinical data. Um, but we don't have great data. And we've, like, we've had a study that came out that one of our scientific advisory board members was a part of, right? And he actually joined the scientific advisory board after that study. And the study is not like, it's not a blaring review, great review of PR lotion. It was like, the jury's still out. Um, but he's seen enough and used it enough to say there is something happening here. And there's, and, and our commitment to continue to collect data and a ask questions has been really, really com compelling for those people. So that, I mean, that's just kind of the background is can we unlock a proven molecule um, that's really not accessible via the gut that we can make it accessible for training we can make it accessible competition, and we can unlock more sports uh, or physical activity. And that's really what we've tried to do with PR lotion um, here. So, Well, and I, th I think that's, that's well said and kind of the framework there I like because I've looked at, um, I think, all of, your, all of your, all the data that's been published on PR lotion. Um, and, you know, it's, it's varying degrees of, you know, one was done at a, at a cycling center um, in, I think in Colorado or somewhere in the Rockies and really interesting data, N not a, not an institution that does a lot of research, but that doesn't mean throw it out. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting data. And then you see the, the uh, UCSD study and the, the stuff done in Australia and it's starting, starting to mount. What I find most interesting is that it looks like the topical application um, is, is pretty equivalent to oral ingestion when you look at endpoints. Um, so, and that's ultimately what we're looking for. Like if, if the GI issue is problematic, oral intake doesn't work, um, and it looks like topical works, then, then it becomes time to kind of go backwards and say, okay, how is it working? Where is it getting? How's it getting in the muscle cells? And I feel like you're kind of at that point where, yes, it's a it's a safe molecule. It's a safe delivery system. Um, we know there's performance benefits to using it in certain situations, and it looks like it's just as good as oral, but we maybe don't yet know why or what exactly is happening. So then, for me, you know, I've I've been with some of these elite elite athletes who have used it at events from Ironman to the Tour de France, whatever, um, and heard the, the anecdotal response from people who are generally pretty quick to kick things to the curb if they don't work, you know, and that, that doesn't mean it can't possibly have a placebo effect, but I've worked with guys in these scenarios long enough to know that when they try something that doesn't work, it's usually gone the next day. And I've seen it stick around and be requested, you know, like on the team bus or, or in whatever scenario. Um, it is not just that it's used because it's out, but if it's not out, it's requested. Um, so I think that's a really important part of kind of looking through this whole whole process of evaluating it and kind of where we stand at the moment. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And the placebo effect is 100 percent real. Anybody who comes, literally anybody who comes back to me is like, I used it yesterday and it was incredible. It's like, 
Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, great. Great. Yeah. But placebo right. works. Very few things. Like, do you know? Like, do you know? Caffeine is one of those things. It's like yes or no. Like, yeah. like definitively. Um, and, and for us, I think the big thing that we've seen and, and what you've had is it's not like I used it once benefit. It's this, it's this accumulation of these elite athletes that have, you know, like I'm going to use it for a month yeah. and, and then it's like, okay, I understand. I, I understand how this is affecting you can, they can see their numbers, but they, right, right. Because performance on any given day is is subject to 9,000 different variables, right? How did you sleep? Hydration status, right? Weather, like stress, right? Emotion, like all of these things play into it. And so- And recovery, which I find really interesting because that's one of the things that I've heard repeatedly from athletes is, um, you know, obviously using it before a workout, but then they're kind of like, no, no, you got to use it after. You got to put this on afterwards. what do you mean? And it took me a while to kind of uh, think about what was going on here. Um, but I mean, this, the San Diego study, they've been able to show a, a significant decrease in delayed onset muscle soreness. So it appears there's something there. Uh, and some of the new studies that you alluded to where the use of bicarb increases mitochondrial density in muscle tissue in an animal model, um, you know, Perhaps there's something going on there that directly impacts muscle recovery, which then impacts not just how you feel, but how you perform the next day. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the muscle recovery aspect in my mind, like there, like, like there just needs to be work on that with bicarb, let alone PR lotion. Um, but you're like, uh, like, right. What is the, what is the hypothesis, the connection, the dotted line and it is kind of centered around, right? What's it, what's happening to the mitochondria, mitochondria, et cetera. But also, this hypothesis is, you know, like your body's really acidic after you work out, right? It's still metabolic, and and as uh, like after anything you do, and so if it's metabolic, it's still producing lactate and hydrogen ions. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's like chemical damage, and that chemical damage is also contributed to hydrogen ions. And so if you can limit some of the chemical damage, you're never, you can't limit mechanical damage in the muscle. Like you just can't. Right. Right. right? Like that, that's how our muscles grow. And like, if you're not doing mechanical damage, you're not getting better. I was going to say, um, you don't want to limit that. Exactly. That's, that's I mean, at the extreme ends, maybe like for injury, but like on a day-to-day basis, you don't want to limit that. That's how muscle adaptation, adaptation happens, right? Is yeah. you, you tear your muscles, all these micro tears, they grow back stronger. Uh, the, the, the hypothesis is if, if, we're actually, um, right. The, some of the chemical damage is happening acidic. You don't need the chemical damage, right. Or the inflammation response and things like that. And some of that is inhibiting the recovery aspect of it. And so part of the hypothesis is, is that what is creating this, um, right. Is that what is creating right this recovery benefit as well? Yeah. Well, and, and I might even say that a little differently because there is pretty convincing data to show that the inflammation does act as a signaling process to trigger the adaptation. And maybe what you're doing is removing some of the acidic environment, which is not synonymous with inflammation. It's kind of a separate process. Um, so you're addressing a component of, of injury, fatigue, et cetera, that is maybe not as tightly associated with adaptation, 
but you're leaving the the other component that is a signaling aspect. And again, like you said, this th there needs to be study here. This is I'm not saying this is what happens, right? Where it's we're trying to figure it out in science, but yeah, yeah. like there's there's a lot of of discussion and clinical work that still needs to be done here. Some of it I'm really excited that we are we are doing and trying to understand. I mean, uh, like Kevin, as you know, like science takes a long time. Um, yeah. and, and that's one of the hardest things for me. Like we're very much a commercial business. Like we have incredible scientists around us, um, and docs, but for me, it's like, you want to know now because we're, we're, we're like, but it, like studies take six to 12 months, like publishing, publishing takes another 12 months if you're lucky. Yeah. Right. Like, and so you're, you're sitting here as you're saying like, we're kicking off, like, we, we, we've we officially kicked off two studies this month, which is huge for us, um, yeah. at, at two really prestigious universities. Um, but, like, I, I hope we get, like, I'm hoping we get data, like, just data back, raw data in the next six months. Um, and I know we will, but then, like, then how do we get that to our consumer, to the HP space? And how does that get published, et cetera, because there's this huge lag um, from, from this publishing aspect, which is really, I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and for me, it's, how do you, how do we do right from a business perspective? Um, because ultimately like somebody has to pay for additional clinical trials, which is us having a commercial business. Um, but also how do you, like, how, how are we genuine enough to just say, and this is one of the pushes for the team is like, we don't know all the answers and we shouldn't, we don't want to be the company that knows all the answers. Um, because if we knew all the answers, then what we would be doing, what we were doing is not special, right? Like, uh, we have somebody who always kind of puts it in, like, talks about like the pyramid of human performance and optimization. There's like this top 10% of like what's happening in, in this space of, you know, there's really compelling evidence, but by no stretch of the imagination, do you have all the evidence, um, or all the answers. And you still like, there's still a long time to get that. And, and like, so un, uh, uh, seems to work on the forefront questions to answer. Right. And then you have this like next year down of the next 20% of like, okay, you've got, you know, you've got enough data to, um, to like say, without a doubt, this is working, except for you don't have mass adoption or that mass push yet. Right, yeah, there's seventy percent of just a commodity-based business, right? Or it's like right. been around for two two decades. Like, yes, it does X. Period. Right? Like, yeah. and we're in that top ten percent of pushing the limits, asking questions, and we have to know that we are, and that's the big push that I think for our team, and and why we've gotten traction in, uh, right, and won government grants around innovation is we've just said we know what we know. And we, we definitely know what we don't know. Um, and that is that we don't know a lot. Um, and help us answer the questions and help us be thought, part or be thought partners with us. And, and I do think that's really, really important because there's not enough people in the high performance space that are saying we don't have all the answers. They're saying this product is the best thing since sliced bread. Um, right. and, and like I know we as a business, we dance that line. But I'm also like, like because uh, you have to. You have to. When I, yeah. like when I try, when we try to have these conversations like this, is like 
there is so much more to know, and that's what makes it exciting. That's why we're yeah. at the forefront. If we're doing something everybody else was doing, we wouldn't have anything cool or special. Um, so, anyway. I, no, I love that. I mean, I think that's um, that resonates with me because my practice is very different as well, and it's very, um, uh, you know, it's it's unique and probably we have a lot of the same conversations here that, you know, we don't know it all, but we're trying to be progressive. We're trying to do what's best for the patient trying to always push the limits a little bit in, in ways that help them reach the goals that they want to reach. And, and, you know, in high performing sports across the board, whether it's a medical practice like mine or a pro team or a performance center or whatever, you have to be willing to say, you know, in three years or five years, if the data changes, okay, we need to do it differently. We've been doing this, but we need to do this. And when you get comfortable with the, the, the constant discovery, um, it becomes a lot of fun, I think, as opposed to in, in medicine and likely in, in business and, and performance in general, uh, a lot of times if something works, you, you stick with it, uh, to, to your detriment, right? Because that's what you do. It's just, you know, that that's standard. And what I like is you guys are pushing away from the standard. You're pushing away, you know, they're saying, Hey, let's, let's see how we can do this better. Um, and so I don't know, I, I think the role of topical bicarb is fascinating. It's safe to use. There's lots of reasons to think it works. Um, and it's well worth trying out in numerous scenarios. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about before we wrap up real quickly is the, you mentioned the ketones too. You know, there was, uh, when, when exogenous ketones and we've, we've talked about this on a different podcast, but when exogenous ketones were first kind of brought to the high performance market, they were used in a way, uh, you know, during exercise. And then there was a study that came out and said, wait, 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 that's probably causing either excess acidity in the muscles, which would decrease performance, or it's causing a decreased buffering capacity, which is kind of the same thing on a different end of the equation. But either way, you get to a place where there's greater acidity in the performing muscle, which means that it fails quicker. Um, so the use of ketones was shifted to be more of a, a post workout or post, um, competition supplement. And then, uh, just this last year, the group out of Belgium and at the university of Leuven came out with a study that said, well, wait, if you do ketones and bicarb, you may mitigate some of that. And then we're back at that same problem. Well, the study said that the bicarb didn't cause any GI problems, but, um, it does. <laughs> and so then we're at that problem again, where, you know, okay, we've got a potential utility for bicarb in a setting where bicarb isn't really useful. And then it's like, ah, topical, maybe that'll work. Right. So, I mean, I think to me, bicarb is well worth exploring as an individual athlete looking for performance. Um, how you use it is where it gets difficult and having the option of topical is game changing. If you want to do oral, I've even seen athletes do like small oral doses, smaller than what would be typical, and then topical on top of that. Um, 
you know, I think, I think it just opens up a whole new way to use a molecule that was known to be useful, but not well tolerated. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it all comes down to how is it used? How is it put in practice? Um, which is, which is super fascinating. And yeah, um, that, that's why we're excited. We're unlocking something that is well, well known and understood and, and really safe. I mean, it's, it's like one of the things that like, one of like the seven things that the IOC says, really well known, really, really safe and is efficacious. Like, like sodium is on there and right. carbohydrates are on there. Like, you know, creatine, we, creatine, like there's like, like seven things, seven quote supplements that the IOC recognized as really safe, really effective. Um, um, so I, I, it's, it's to me, one of those things that's like, that's what, that's why we're excited. Um, and that's why we're excited that we've been able to build the company around something that's really innovative like that. And, and are looking forward to like, how do we, how do we build amp human and continue to build amp human into human performance company leveraging like this incredible platform that PR Lotion has given us to be at the forefront of human performance, right? To be in these unique places, to to ask hard questions, um, because PR Lotion for us is just the start, and and that's super exciting to me, right? We didn't start Amp Human to to sell and bring PR Lotion to market. We brought it to be at the forefront of human performance, push the limits understand what else is out there and ultimately create an incredible brand that is serving multiple needs of, of that athlete who's intentionally trying to seek to level up. Like how do I find different ways um, to level up and put knowledge around it, et cetera. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, going back to calling you the bicarb guy as being tongue in cheek, I know some of the stuff that's coming down the pike for you guys, and I'm excited about it. Some of the the products that'll come out, but in in the meantime, what I would say again, first and foremost, this is not a commercial. Jeff's not sponsoring this. Um, this is a discussion I wanted to have uh, around bicarb scientifically from a performance standpoint, and then two, just uh, introducing folks to the the idea that it can be used topically. Um, and I would tell people, and I do tell my patients, you know, try it, uh, get, order yourself some, try it in some different scenarios. Uh, I, I think you'll find it's a, a useful tool when used correctly and for the right, uh, you know, the right types of efforts. Um, and, and secondly, I would say, keep an eye on, on this company, because I think you're going to see some interesting things coming, uh, in the, in the, the near and distant future. Um, so like you said, first, first of many, I hope, uh, with the bicarb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I just, I love just talking about sports and, and optimizing the body and, and like, you know, this too, Kevin, some people tolerate oral sodium bicarbonate really, really well. Some people, oh yeah, for sure. Some people do. Um, and oral sodium bicarbonate, like if you could tolerate it, man, good on you. Like it is one of those tools you should be using. Um, well, and, and I would urge that as well. Like if you're going to play around with bicarb as a, as a supplement, try it orally too. Um, if for no other reason than to, f- to figure out what it's like not being able to tolerate it, because it's, it's one of those, uh, rites of passage perhaps as you, as you move into high performance. <laughs> yeah. Be, be ready. When I tried it uh, a long time ago, um, I was not ready. Um, yeah, yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, I, like all of the research says 
you have to like consume at least 0.3 grams per kilogram, which is a hell of a lot of sodium bicarbonate in case you're wondering. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, walk us through the, the, the history and the literature on bicarb and tell us about um, your product and the and exciting new way to that athletes can have access to bicarb and its, its performance benefits. So thank you very much. No, thanks for having me, Kevin. It was an honor to talk and, and kind of share, share the journey and thoughts. Cool. Well, um, maybe we'll have you back on as some of those uh, upcoming products are, are launched in the future. And we can talk about those as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Podium strives to provide progressive, evidence-informed medical care and performance advice to both elite athletes and patients who are simply interested in health and vitality. We offer a patient-focused, highly personal retainer model practice that brings a discerning, informed, relational approach to healthcare. Patients enter into an annual agreement or retainer, which allows us to work closely and personally with them over months and years. We significantly limit the number of patients we work with. I'm talking tens of patients, not thousands or even hundreds. It's my belief that most people, when provided with the appropriate knowledge, can achieve their goals of health, vitality, and performance. We strive not for quick fixes, but to support true lifestyle changes, which are ultimately much more successful and sustainable. If you're looking for shortcuts and symptomatic fixes, Podium's not going to be for you. If you're in it for the long run, understanding that health is a lifelong journey, and we're here to walk with you and help guide the way. If you're interested in learning more about our practice, email us. There is currently a wait list to join as a patient, but there's no better time to join that list than now. Also, as you heard earlier, we plan to do a Q&A session on the podium next season. If you want to submit a question for us to answer, you can also send us an email. For either inquiry, the address is info at podiumsportsmed.com. Thanks for listening to The Podium. To hear more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, where I am at Dr. Kevin Sprouse. That's D-R Kevin Sprouse. The podcast posts at the underscore podium underscore podcast. You can also find and follow me on Strava. The content of this podcast is meant for general informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. All listeners should speak with their doctor or medical practitioner before implementing any change in their healthcare regimen. If you're currently a patient at Podium, then you have an established doctor-patient relationship with me, and I'm happy to discuss this with you. If you're not currently a patient at Podium, nothing in this recording establishes a doctor-patient relationship between us, nor does it constitute the practice of medicine nor the dissemination of medical advice. Should you implement any information contained herein without consulting your own physician, you do so at your own risk.